Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, June 9th episode of Poets and Muses. We chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. I want to let you know that we have launched our new website, poetsandmuses.com. From there, you can follow us on SoundCloud, Instagram, as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses. And subscribe to our weekly newsletter, uh, which will tell you about happenings and events involving past poet guests and myself. With us today is Sarah Rachel Evans, who will be discussing with me her poem "Magic Words" and my poem "Another Kind of Love Poem." Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over all the poetry events taking place. In the valley during the week of Monday, June 10th. On Monday, June 10th, from 6 to 7:45 p.m., Christy White will be hosting the Mustang Poets Open Reading and Discussion Group at the Mustang Library at 10101 North 90th Street in Scottsdale. From 6:30 to 8:30. Patty will be hosting her monthly poetry roundtable workshop at the Changing Hands Bookstore at 6428 South McClintock Drive in Tempe. From 7 to 9:30 p.m., Savannah Lutman and Phoenix Firebird Events will be hosting their weekly The Firebird Open Mic at Third Space, which is at 1028 Grand Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic is between 5 and 7 p.m. On Tuesday, June 11, from 6 to 8 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry and writing workshop at the Chandler Community Center, which is at 125 East Commonwealth Avenue in Chandler. From 8 to 11 p.m., King Kong will be hosting his weekly The Underground Experience at 2601 on Central, which is at 2601 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7:30. On Wednesday, June 12th, from 7:30 to 9 p.m., Lacuna Cava Bar will be hosting its weekly open mic night on site at 8:31 North Third Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7 p.m. Wednesday is also the last day to sign up for this month's Pocket to Me event at Palabras Bookstore, which you can do by emailing. Info at palabrasbookstore.com. Again, that's info at palabrasbookstore.com. P A L A B R A S bookstore.com. On Thursday, June thirteenth, from seven to nine p.m., Long Known Publishing will be hosting its weekly Phoenix Poetry Slam at the Lost Leaf, which is at nine fourteen North Fifth Street in Phoenix. Make sure to get there by six fifty to participate. From 8 to 11 p.m., Quentin Oni will be hosting his weekly open mic at Jobot Coffee and Bar at 333 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7:30 p.m. On Friday, June 14th, from 7 to 9:30 p.m., Shante Orion, Bill Campana, and Jack Evans will be hosting their monthly Caffeine Corridor open mic and poetry series at Nine the Gallery, which is at 1229 Grand Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to read starts at 6:45 p.m. From 7:30 p.m., Marche Fister Productions and Nash will be hosting its Jazz Me's Poetry event, which is taking place at the Nash at 
110 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. From 8 to 11 p.m., Latoski and Speaking Into Existence will be hosting its monthly Smoke It Into Existence open mic at Just Blaze Smoke Shop, which is at 1001 East Camelback Road in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7.30. On Saturday, June 15th, from 9.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., the East Valley Poets will be hosting its monthly short program and open reading at the Tempe Pile Center, which is at 655 East Southern Avenue in Tempe. From 6 to 9 p.m., Pocket to Me will be taking place at Palabras Bilingual Bookstore at 1738 East McDowell Road in Phoenix. Again this month, Palabras Bookstore is holding a fundraiser on Indiegogo.com. If you haven't donated yet, please do to keep the only bilingual bookstore in Arizona in business. Thank you. And now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Sarah Rachel Evans. Hi, Sarah. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's so cool you do this. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. I would love to get to know you a little bit before we go on to your poem, which is called Magic Words. Mm-hmm. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, I just finished my classes at ASU as a classical violist, mm. and I do poetry as well, and they actually both started around the same time when mm-hmm. I was in middle school going through my goth phase. Oh. Um, I was very much a quiet person, and those are my two ways to just talk to people. Mm-hmm. I had trouble talking to people the regular way. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I started my school's very first creative writing club and all of that. I was very much in love with poetry. People like Edgar Allan Poe and T.S. Eliot and all of that, but it wasn't until 2016 that the poet, local poet Joy Young did a workshop, and I realized mm. I could actually perform these things in front of people and kind of share that. Yeah. (laughs) Great. And where I met you at Wordplay Cafe, was Mm -hmm. that your first time? That was my first time at the Wordplay Cafe, for sure. It was a really cool experience. The vibes were really nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, uh, like, celebratory. Mm -hmm. And very supportive. Supportive, yes. I have done things, mostly Waysitting Scene Distro has these open mics. They feature poets who sometimes are touring, sometimes are teaching workshops, and then afterwards they do an open mic. Uh, I've also done, occasionally, District 4 Mm. and Caffeine Corridor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I want to do Pocket To Me, but I I just think that's so cool. It is so cool. It's awesome. I recommend that. Absolutely. Yeah. Wasted Ink, you mentioned that I yeah. went last year, actually, mm-hmm. late last year, but I haven't seen them host another one, and I've been yeah. wanting, dying to go again, because yeah. they have a great space. They really do. Yeah, I think they were doing a series. It was usually every Tuesday, like every second Tuesday of the month. I'm trying to remember. It's called Off the Page, and okay. I think it's on a temporary hiatus, ah. but the three people who organize it, one of them is Joy Young. And the other is um, the head of Wasted Ink, um, right. Carissa, and the third yeah. is Anastasia. They're so interesting, and they always find really cool people 
to host the workshops. Nice. I think it's just a matter of when you're an art organizer, you kind mm-hmm. of have to put on hold sometimes making art yourself. Right, so I'm right. glad that hopefully they're making their own art during yeah. this hiatus time. I hope so too. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same way because with this podcast, mm-hmm. sometimes I just feel like I'm, all my life is about the podcast and I don't yes. have time to write poetry anymore. Yes, it's so interesting. I have a lot of friends, specifically in the classical music world, who they're excellent musicians but have instead become arts administrators mm. because it's become so hard to just support you know, sustaining the arts without having mm-hmm. the structure and the people who create the structure, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think we definitely, overall as a country and also regionally, even though there is a lot of support for the arts mm-hmm. here in Phoenix and in the Valley period, there needs to be more and more systematic support. Yes. Because otherwise we all feel like we need to have a second job. That's all about earning in order to sustain our artistic lifestyle and that the earning aspect becomes overwhelming and overwhelms our time. Yes, I totally agree. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I'm, I'm not doing the podcast for, well, I'm not earning anything <laughs> with the podcast, yeah. but even if I was, I mean, this is something that I definitely wanted to do to serve as a platform for especially emerging mm-hmm. poets. I would definitely keep this. I would, though, love to have funding so uh-huh. that I can hire people so that it's not that all editing. dependent on me. Yeah. Oh that editing process is yes. brutal, brutal. <laughs> and so it would be nice to have a team because yeah. there are just so many administrative aspects to mm-hmm. it. Anyway, enough about that. <laughs> now let's go back to the podcast itself. Yeah. <laughs> so you brought with us your poem, Magic Words. Yes. Would you like to read that for us? Sure, please? I'd love to. Thank you. This is the poem, Magic Words. I'm actually only into sporty girls he pronounces the morning after. I can smell his beer putrid breath from across the bed and feel my body sink deeper into the mattress. Only into sporty girls, as if these magic words can unfuck me, take back the fact that I literally let him into me. Silence accumulates, there is an elephant in the room And I am the elephant, because I take up too much room. Drift off into space, space he'd rather use to talk about his huge cock. He's considered porn, you know? For men, bigger can be better. As I walk him to the subway station, I am caught by the jiggle of my thighs, craning to see my body through his eyes. Too big for sober mornings after, not so big to unswell his inebriated shaft, last night at least, the needy, porn-sized beast. It's too bad my body is soft, like my peach-bruised pride. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I really love this piece and how you are very frank mm. about <laughs> yeah. what you went through. Yeah. It's obviously an incredibly painful experience. Mm-hmm. When did you write this? Because Yeah, I wrote this in 2014. Okay. The backstory, I suppose, is I was recently diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and I lost a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had a misdiagnosis, and so it was kind of a prolongation before treatment, and I mm-hmm. just continued to lose weight. 
Mm. And growing up kind of curvy my whole life, Mm. um, I just had this huge boost of confidence. It allowed me to kind of start feeling like I could expand my horizons, talk to people I had never talked to. Mm -hmm. And um, I was a little more promiscuous during that time, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I'm glad I did that, but it left me vulnerable Mm. to these kinds of moments. Mm -hmm. And even though I had lost so much weight, this moment here was took me aback that I still wasn't small enough for some people, Mm, you know? Yeah. I felt like I was just, like, completely a different person, yet still I wasn't. um, But you were. Yeah, I was a completely different person. And I think you were good enough for him. You were. I wasn't. Yeah, you know, he he did sleep with me at the time. Yeah. You know? (laughs) It was only after that it was like, okay, keep it hush-hush, you know, kind of thing. Or it reminds me, I don't know if we're allowed to, like, talk about this uh, TV show that I recently saw called Shrill. It's about a larger woman, Mm -hmm. her experience through life, and a man she's sleeping with in the very first episode. He asked her to go out the back door because his roommates are out front near the front door because he doesn't want to introduce her to them. And it's kind of like... I know that feeling, Mm. you know, this experience, it just came to the front of my mind watching that episode. Right, right. So you can sleep with me, but you don't want to be seen with me. Mm -hmm. We won't talk about this ever again. Right, right. Or people, really, it's their problem because they're denying what they're really into because there's some kind of expectation, maybe a cultural expectation of what they should like. Uh-huh, and definitely. When, yeah, and when they're sober, when they're no longer... As an aside, I always feel like when people are under the influence of alcohol and drugs, they're more... Well, more alcohol. Mm-hmm. Or maybe drugs, like softer drugs as yes. well. Yes. That they're more themselves. Uh-huh. And they show more of themselves. All the inhibitors that yes. we have, they're all kind of damped down. So it seems like that's exactly what he's into, your body type, your personality type, to the extent that he knew. Mm-hmm. But then once all the substance has gone out of his system, his socially trained barriers went back up. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. Yeah, I had actually known this person for years. I went through oh, my, okay. my degree program and all of my classes, mm-hmm. the same classes with him, right. and he had never expressed any interest. Okay. We had never really talked with each other until all that weight was lost. And, you know, okay. honestly, I was working out so much in the best shape of my life just because I thought I needed to completely overhaul my lifestyle mm-hmm. um, before I realized that this was a chronic illness and I could never really cure it. Right, um, right. And it was so interesting. He was not the only person who, like, all of a sudden, there were people talking to me who had never talked to me before. Right. Um, so it's so strange. Like the feeling of validation that I was getting from others left me so vulnerable. Mm. Once that validation was taken away, it just was crushing. Yeah. It seems like I wasn't really drawing the val- validation from myself, if that makes sense. Right. It was, I had lost all that weight, and now that I'm getting the outside feedback, things are good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I realized how fragile I actually was during that time, mm-hmm. even though I felt so confident. 
Right, right. It's a different kind of confidence, right? Yes. As you said, outside derived. Mm -hmm. It's all of these sudden gazes that are drawn to your body, drawn to your outer self. Exactly. Yeah, and I guess I also thought, this was one of those poems that I I wrote it in 2016 Mm. after the Joy Young workshop. Okay, Um, okay. And a lot of poems I write, I have to edit a whole bunch, you know. Mm -hmm. I revisit it four or five times. I love editing, but um, this one just came out and I was like, this is great as it is. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I maybe touched on it like one or two times afterward, but it was something that really needed to be said because I really never talked to anyone about it. Mm -hmm. And part of the poem, I think, touches on the idea that his words really affected me, and yet Mm -hmm. I didn't say anything to him at the time. Mm, Wow. And that feeling of, oh, man, I really should have said that. You know, I really should have said, do you think that changes what happened, mm-hmm. you know, between us? What does this mean? Right, <laughs> like, right, right. I should have said something, I think, now. And every time I say this poem out loud in front of people, it takes back the power that I felt had been taken yeah. away from me yeah. at the time. I understand, yeah. It does feel like this particular poem, it's like you are speaking to him. Mm-hmm. actually so every time you recite it I guess it's kind of like that experience you saying that to him you have said when you were just commenting before that you didn't get to say anything at the time and mm-hmm. I can relate to that because I have very slow reflexes so yeah. and sometimes it really serves me well because there are times when people say offensive things to me and I really want to shout something back <laughs> yeah. and it's a good thing I don't before my personal safety Mm-hmm. It might be a good thing. But sometimes you do want to be able to say that clever thing back. You do want to have that sort of sitcom reaction, that very much yeah. written, perfect, that yeah. zinger. Yes. Yeah, that, that retort. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, but since you said you didn't say anything to him at the times and you knew him decently well or as a regular person in your life, mm-hmm. did you get a chance to talk with him again? Did you bring it up later on? Not exactly. It was kind of like, I did not bring up how uncomfortable he made me. And he would text me occasionally, ask me what I was doing. Have you heard of the term fuckboy? No, but I sort of get the idea. <laughs> Have an idea. Yeah. You know, someone who's, you know, do you want to Netflix and chill kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would reply with these one-word answers. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I think he kind of got the message mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I was kind of exhausted with that kind of treatment right oh good for you I mean yeah because sometimes people still for whatever reason self-esteem or or because of physical need because again this is something I'm, I'm glad we're two women talking about this because yeah. a lot of times society don't think of women as sexual creatures whereas yeah. we are we have our own needs and as strong maybe even stronger than some of our male counterparts Mm -hmm. but we are forced not to talk about it for our own safety as well as because society norms yes and so it's good to talk about it and and so sometimes when you have that need and you have somebody who's readily available you want to be able to quote-unquote utilize that resource but ultimately Obviously, he was decent, right? Mm-hmm. So, to be considered to be reused. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be considered to be a repeat. Excuse me, not reused. They're not <laughs> objects, none of us. <laughs> but to be on your roster. 
Um, <laughs> he had to have met certain physical criteria, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of performance. Mm-hmm. But to know that even though he can make you feel good temporarily, physically, mm-hmm. he will ultimately make you feel bad. Yeah, that you you had the self respect as well as self restraint to stop that. That's yes. really wonderful. Yes. I think that was a moment where my internal validation finally opened up and nice. flared up inside of me. Yeah. That was such an interesting time in my life, growing my confidence level. I think when you grow up a bigger woman, we don't really talk about how that people experience oppression mm-hmm. and especially fat women mm-hmm. experience oppression. And even when you lose weight, you still kind of keep a little at least a little bit of that feeling of insecurity yeah yeah you do you do there is so much pressure globally even Mm -hmm. it depends on the culture obviously but especially american culture but you know both of us have some asian in us (laughs) so asian culture depending on which one east asian culture like tend to be very very strong Uh, you have to be this shape yeah, it's actually interesting that you bring that up. I didn't think about that before, but I think yeah, a lot of the messages I've received about my size have come from home and come from my family. And also, like, just when my, my mom or my aunt have visited the Philippines and then come back and bring clothes mm-hmm, home, mm-hmm. and they bring the largest size they could find, yet it still doesn't fit. Yeah, the the people are smaller. <laughs> yeah, I'm also you know half you know Caucasian, so mm-hmm. that's part of it. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily genetically the same size as right. everyone else in the Philippines. But I would blame myself for that. Not you know my bone structure or my genes, or even I was living in the same house as my mom. We were eating the same things, mm-hmm. and we were we're both you know about the same size but mm-hmm. just feeling feeling bad about looking the way that I, I did yeah and that's been taught to us since the very we don't even know when it starts to seep in right but mm-hmm. it's been taught to us since the very beginning since both inadvertently from our parents and then also watching tv yes. media exposure yeah my my mom has always been on a diet really? for all of my life that I've known her Mm -hmm. she's always been on a diet and she used to make me feel bad well it's more a control thing because she would tell me that I was fat after we eat really after we eat my goodness not before and she had characterized that as like carrying wanting to make sure that I don't gain weight or become overweight but then Mm -hmm. when the family therapist was asking her but why do you say it to her after uh-huh. So there's no preventative possibilities. Yes. And also, when I go to Asia, I find that I need a larger size, uh-huh. which is kind of weird. Because <laughs> So again, it's both cultural as well as, I think, a gender discrimination thing. As you said, larger women tend to face more of the backlash than larger men. We mm-hmm. have the dad bod is considered sexy or whatnot. Yes. Just like men get a pass in this yes. area as well. And it's interesting because he used the term in the poem and also in real life, he used the term sporty girls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's often this idea, a misconception that when a woman is larger, she's not doing anything. 
she's lazy, she's not yeah. working out, she's not dieting, she's just kind of complacent. Right. <laughs> it's so strange that I was working out a lot, I was doing mm-hmm. a lot, I was really watching the things I I was eating, I mean, I still have to do that with type 1 diabetes, right. but it's so strange that people can assume that kind of thing, that that people are complacent just based on how they look, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the problem with discrimination, right? It kind of cuts both ways because using, like, the Asian stereotypes, mm. it's, it's all about, oh, you were born this way, you can't be anything else. Like, yeah. racial stereotypes, it's all about nature, yes. the persistence of nature, the inability to change it. It's yes. all about that idea. If you're born... African-American, if you're born Asian-American, there are certain types associated. Whereas fat shaming is the opposite, mm-hmm. is that people don't think about the genetic aspects. People don't think of the nature aspect, mm-hmm. but only think of the nurturing aspect. Yes. And that somehow you're not doing anything is yeah. because of your innate... But it's Behavior. both, right? Yeah. yeah, so it's kind of wild. It's just yeah. like... Yeah, I never make thought about that. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also the same with, you know, LGBT. A lot of people think that that's a behavior that people yeah. have chosen to do. Yeah. The whole, like, word lifestyle is just yeah. so wild to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I find that interesting because I think it doesn't matter, though. Even yes. if it was a choice. So what? Yeah. If people are consenting adults, mm-hmm. right, if they're doing that and that they're having fun between themselves, mm-hmm. how does that hurt somebody else? Yes. You know, there's the idea of, oh, they're being recruited into this community. So what? Are they being hurt ultimately? Yes. Besides some book saying that they're being hurt. Uh-huh. Some book that was written a long time ago, and that actually, even within the book itself, is inconsistent in yes. terms of how that is viewed, mm-hmm. how sexual orientation is viewed. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it's about controlling others or yes. projecting onto others what we don't want. We talked about both being in New York, there's a storage company called Manhattan Storage Company, uh-huh. and there is this huge sign near Soho. Mm-hmm. This is, if you don't like gay marriage, don't get gay married, <laughs> right? It's just That's that. Amazing. It's like, don't do it. Don't like it. Don't do it. Don't like gay behavior. Don't act gay. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just like, what does that have to do with you? It's basically yeah. really solidify that idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, going back to you feeling rejected by this guy it took two years between this mm-hmm. happening in 2014 and you writing about yeah. this how did you nurture yourself back from that pain yeah that's a good question part of it is realizing that I don't need alcohol mm-hmm. to find romantic or even sexual connections with people mm-hmm. so I've been trying I think all of sexual decisions that I've regretted have begun with alcohol. (laughs) And I actually have another poem that I wrote about that, about that time of my life where I did give kind of consent, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of hazy when you are under the influence of alcohol and things sometimes go further than you want them to, Mm. or you you feel you can't stop in the middle or something. Mm. And in This particular situation from the poem, I wasn't even sure if I fully wanted to go all the way and to have sex with him, but he said, I live in New Jersey, and 
I'm stuck here, can I stay in your apartment in Brooklyn for the night? Mm -hmm. And it just ended up that I kind of caved in. I was like, okay, I guess this is happening. And now, you know, since I have type 1 diabetes, I've learned that my body is kind of, not just kind of, it's it's important and it needs a -hmm. lot of care. Realizing how much maintenance I have to do every day, waking up, eating every time before bed, I have to just check in with myself all the time and adding that level of consciousness to taking care of myself Mm -hmm. also leads to consciousness and other aspects yeah it does it does we do especially for people with this experience you talked about in the Mm -hmm. other poem where he basically use your niceness against you yes (laughs) and and basically thought okay she's somebody whose boundaries i can push and Mm -hmm. i can keep pushing yes and which is terrible right because we want to live in a world where we're nice to each other but yeah there are so many people who as soon as they meet somebody nice they utilize that niceness to Mm -hmm. their own ends so that the nice people no longer feel like they can be as nice as they were in a previous Yes. So, in a way, we are all, by our behavior, changing the world for the worse through that sort of behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's not even that. I mean, part of it is this idea of innocence, you know, like mm-hmm. and naiveness. Those are both words that really stood out in your poem that we're going to oh, listen to thanks. later. Yeah, I mean, I think... Part of it is that, just wanting to be nice, allowing someone into your world and, you know, feeling vulnerable and hoping that they'll receive you well. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just the yearning for human connection. Yeah, this poem is about just how quickly that connection can be broken. Yeah, and and that inherent trust that we invest in other human beings, even Mm -hmm. those that we just met, can completely be just smashed yeah. to pieces yeah yeah and it's such a sad thing because usually you're left alone to have to mend that yourself yes yeah and it's absolutely true yeah yeah and it takes a part of yourself that you might like that very part of yourself where you are vulnerable to people you are able to be nice to people that's part of yourself that you might really love and want to keep but all of these experiences grading experiences yes. really takes that away I've listened to this really interesting TED Talk. I know people talk about TED Talks, but um, (laughs) there's a woman named Brene Brown. That's Mm -hmm. with a B, Brene. She had a talk called The Power of Vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And um, part of it is a lot of people say we can't be vulnerable just in general. You just have to be tough and just make sure that everything is secure before you allow yourself the vulnerability but it's so hard to do like almost impossible basically yeah and it's so sad isn't it Mm -hmm. that uh, we have to create all these walls in order to eventually connect to people i think it's interesting what she says about learning how to discern who to be vulnerable with yeah and honing that ability yeah yeah it's a lot of being very perceptive Mm -hmm. you know like you said, honing that ability to be very perceptive of what they're telling us, what their words are telling us, what their actions are telling us, what's the discrepancy between those two, and what Mm -hmm. that is telling us. Mm -hmm. So many layers of it, right? We have to become like human behavior detectives. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank (laughs) you so much for sharing this. And I feel like your vulnerability 
that you showed through this poem, also the feeling of rejection that, that you conveyed through the poem, is what I connected with, and mm. which is why I chose the poem I did, which is called Another Kind of Love Poem. Yes. So I'll read that now. Another Kind of Love Poem. I gave you my heart. You ground it into dust and let it fly away with the wind. Now there's nothing. I lend you my trust. You tore it to pieces, stumped it under your foot. Now we're mutual suspects. I thought I found shelter with you as my companion. You burned it to the ground. Now we're exposed to danger. I thought you were a kindred. You told me I don't belong. You cast me out. Now we each feel alone. We could have been strong together. We could have been there for each other. But you prefer the devil you know. Now we've both been made weaker. Some partnerships aren't made to last. Some loves aren't meant to blossom. I leave you with these words, hoping you'll show more care to others. Yes, the ghost of my love still lingers. My hope springs eternal. I prefer to keep my innocence, even if you call it naive. I'll transform this pain into love again. Your battery I take as lessons. One door closes as many others open. I see new growth from the ashes. Thank you for making yourself so clear. Thank you for destroying my illusions. I could have stayed drunk on your siren song. Instead, I set sail for new shores. Some travel companions are meant for the short term. Some part ways sweetly. Some leave shattered. My memories of you will be bittersweet. Wishing the good lasted forever. Wishing the bad never came. Oh, so good. Thank you. I love that poem. Thank you. Yeah, to begin with, just the title alone is so wonderful. Oh, thank you. Because <laughs> I have tried to write so many love poems and they're so hard. And, you know, just creating the space for love poems that aren't about a romantic partner, mm -hmm. but about the love, I don't know if I have interpreted exactly how you feel, but loving yourself, even despite, you know, a broken romantic partnership, mm -hmm. like rediscovering the love for yourself. Yeah, yeah. A letdown experience and rejection, as you and I felt, mm -hmm. definitely makes you think about how you feel about yourself as well, and how you want to protect yourself, how valuable you think you are, and therefore yes. how much love and respect you are worth. Yes. So it, it definitely bring about a lot of self-reflection. This particular poem, I named it another kind of love poem. It was because it was a platonic love, and oh. not romantic love yes. in this particular poem. And in some ways, it could be worse, because sometimes oh. you open up parts of yourself to friends or to people that you thought were friends more than you might open up to lovers. Yes. And I don't think there is a very prescriptive way to really break up with a friend. Yeah. I've found that I've had toxic friendships in the past, mm -hmm. and I don't fully know how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. You know, you try and try to repair things. Yeah. And there isn't always a great way. There, there, sometimes there isn't a fix. And sometimes you end up leaving things hanging and just kind of drifting away. And that can leave a lot of residual pain. 
Yeah, there's definitely that. When you feel like your friends aren't there for you, they betray you. Mm-hmm. Then you feel like, okay, what is it in them that I felt I could trust? It brings about this questioning of yourself as well, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of question your ability to tell apart good people from bad people. Yes, yes. In this particular poem, I don't show as much introspection as I've shown in other poems I've written about the same thing. Yeah, um, you were definitely talking to the other person. Yeah. Um, and I, I like that, too. Like, we were both very confrontational in our poems. Yes. And I love how direct it is. Um, yeah. Especially the thank you section. Mm-hmm. And that I really love how you read it, too. The volume increase, it was just so punchy and emphasized. Because people think often, like, thank yous are oh, thank you, kind of you're in debt to someone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But this thank you is like an empowered thank you. Mm -hmm. Like, thank you. I'm glad that now I have more power in my life now that I'm not relying on this relationship. Mm -hmm, Yeah, Yeah, it's that recognizing it's a toxic relationship and walking away, which can be so hard in, well, both friendships and, and romantic relationships mm-hmm. because you you invest a part of yourself in those relationships mm-hmm. right and it's great when you talked about the volume i was like yes i'm with a musician who of <laughs> yeah. course uses her ears and these are the things she would notice yeah. it's awesome thank you yeah i feel like it's so cool that especially with a podcast you get to hear the way a poet and her her voice in their head or how they would perform it in person. Right, you right. Know, I mean, I love zines, I love reading poetry zines, mm-hmm. but an aspect sometimes gets lost. Yeah, when it's not spoken word, mm-hmm. right, performances. Mm-hmm. And the intonation is so important in terms of conveying the emotional undertones. Yes. Right, and when you're reading it, it's your version of it, it's what you invest from your personal experience. Yes. But when the artist's reading it, Every read will be different. The yes. interpretation oh, will be different. I love that, yes. I hear sometimes, especially in the slam poetry scene, it can be kind of looked down upon to do a poem too many times. But I think it's just so cool, especially if you get to see that artist do the poem several times because there are differences. Mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. see, sometimes it's a growth or sometimes it's just a difference. To hear yeah. the different emphasis of words, to hear the different kind of colors or flavors um, yeah. of lines they've connected with, things that they want to express. Right, right. And it's very subtle. And so it's mm-hmm. nice that you notice that. Because I'm, I'm one of those people where I'm like, oh, they're reading that again. And I don't yeah. like to read mine over and over again. I get kind of bored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, <laughs> But to hear from your perspective, it's sort of like watching a classical piece of music being yes. interpreted by different musicians. Yes, yeah. absolutely. As a classical musician, I, I do love just hearing classics, you know, mm-hmm. done different time, like many different times in different ways just because you you can see a piece of music especially things from like classical or romantic eras it's written a certain way everything is written a certain way but many different people interpret the notation so right. differently mm-hmm. and that has such an interesting parallel to poetry mm-hmm. performing poetry yeah yeah definitely
I mean, my reading it will be different from your reading it as we mm-hmm. do different experiences to yeah. it. Yeah. And that's what makes being able to talk about it yes. so nice because you can bridge those interpretational differences. You're like, oh, this is how I saw it. Did you see it that way? And then the author could even say, oh, hey, that's an interesting angle to look at it because I didn't yeah. think of it that way. So. Yeah, and I think it's so not to not to talk too much, but I love that you do this podcast because oh. you get to hear poets at open mics, but mm-hmm. hardly ever do you get to hear a poet's perspective yeah. on why they wrote their poetry or even who they are, like in general, their voice. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. often only hear one poem from them if they're at an open mic. Right, exactly. Thank you. That's exactly why I started the podcast. You know, there's that selfish aspect of it is that I wanted to find out about these poems Mm -hmm. when I connect with a piece of poetry Mm -hmm. or with an artist. And I'm like, wait, please, I want to know more. Tell me the backstory. What brought you to this? What made you decide to use this particular word even, you know? And why did you intone it? that way in this particular area I love poems I've loved analyzing poems in the past because I think it's so cheeky how poems can contain so much they're so rich and have so many ways you can interpret them it's so little time mm-hmm. you know and yeah. so little words you can just find all these little nuggets of beauty and references and use of like all these figurative stuff mm-hmm. you get so much from it even if the author didn't necessarily intend it yeah art once it's out it's out there and it takes on a life of its own yes. right it's like having children you mm-hmm. can only do so much because <laughs> <laughs> yes. it rests up to them and up yeah. to how the world interacts with them mm-hmm. yeah. i love that so there were a couple of lines that really just well first off like the first several stanzas i love that not only you bring up the pain that this person has kind of caused you, mm-hmm. but also their kind of self-sabotaging behavior mm-hmm. and how yeah. when that person gives you pain, that person also equally receives pain. Right. It's self-inflicted, mm-hmm. you know, um, because you are bound together. Yeah, yeah. I wrote this to a group of friends, or had a group of friends in mind Mm -hmm. who betrayed me. But as I said in another podcast, actually, basically, they kept saying that they supported certain things, Mm -hmm. certain norms. And then when I was trying to pursue those norms, they ended up pulling the rug from underneath me by acting completely otherwise, betraying that trust. Yeah, and really hurting me in the process emotionally. And I felt those norms, they were good for them as well. Mm -hmm. They would help them to form stronger relationships as well. So Mm -hmm. not only did they hurt me, they also hurt themselves. And that's what I wanted to convey because I felt like, okay, why would you choose this person who you already said on many occasions is not actually good to be in your midst. Why do you choose this person rather than Mm -hmm. somebody who believes in what you're preaching? Yes, yes. And I think it's also so commendable that you recognize that it's not only you who's Mm -hmm. been hurt, but they've also hurt themselves. Because often when people experience a negative negative 
events that mm-hmm. they blame themselves and they right. fo- they focus that you know this person you know really hurt me and they they don't think about how from the person's perspective that you know they're also doing themselves harm right you know right. Um, like your poem as well it's yes. that he rejected you out of whatever cultural norms that he's upholding yeah. when he's not under the influence yeah but he's also depriving himself of somebody who obviously he's attracted to yeah so then you know yeah it's not just worrying that you have flaws but understanding and coming to peace with the fact that those people have flaws Mm -hmm. you know instead of focusing all the blame on yourself like oh my goodness was I this way was it bad for me to have associated with these people and what did I really seen them why did I trust them it's also hmm, those people you know they have their flaws they're imperfect and it's not my fault that I believe this would work you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because sometimes when we only say okay because I recognize or I shouldn't have done this I shouldn't have done that we end up taking their responsibility for their behavior away from them and take it onto our own shoulders Mm -hmm. and that's not right why should we carry on so much in a way, it's almost egotistical, right? Yes. It's like we are the ones who are responsible. We are the only ones who can make change. Whereas, no, actually, change has to come about in multiple ways from our side as well as from their side. Yes. And sometimes that change can only come about in that separation. Mm-hmm. And, and you recognize that in more romantic relationships. Yes. But in friendships as well, it's the same thing, is that Sometimes the net result is is a negative, in which case you say, well, no, I, I have to leave. Mm-hmm. I have to leave, and they need to learn on their own whatever they need to learn, but that's not my responsibility to bring home this lesson. Yes, and there was a line that you mentioned. It was something about showing more care to others. Oh, yeah, that. Let's see, where is that? I thought that, that really... That really stuck out to me the first time I read this. I'm trying to find the line here. Hoping, I'll leave you with these words, hoping you'll show more care to others. And I I felt that several times, especially when a previous romantic partner finds someone else and I see them treating that person really well. And I think part of it is good. Like, I hope that the experience with me has shown you how to treat people better mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you yeah. learn from the experience and like I almost want to tell the person that they're dating like you know part of me helped you have a better experience <laughs> I trained him yeah you. I trained him <laughs> you're welcome I trained them. <laughs> but also it's like you know you get that kind of wistful feeling of why wasn't I in that situation? Right. And it's only been recently that I've been thinking, you know, think in the car about these things. And I'm like, you know, everyone will be in different parts of their life, mm-hmm. um, different stages of development. Mm-hmm. And it was probably just that or maybe we were both young or maybe we were both in this situation where I was stressed out about all of my grad courses <laughs> I was taking or I was preparing for auditions and they like I don't know a bunch of other things and yeah. people just don't necessarily know how to deal with certain things and kind of like passing ships in the night like maybe mm-hmm. it's that moment in time and those specific parameters that weren't compatible with each other 
Right, right. And that's timing. Timing is very crucial. It's the same as in like an orchestral work. Mm. You know, working in an orchestra is about teamwork. It's about getting the time right. A lot of it is working Mm -hmm. on timing, right? And Mm -hmm. when to come in and how to come in. Also, the same as in relationships in regular life is about timing. And maybe you're ready for all of these sort of checklists that he or they represent. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, they're not utilizing all of those checklists. They're not manifesting all those yes. checklists. I find that one of the things that leads to toxic relationships is to rely on the potential that you yes. see in those people or in that person. Yes. Because you end up keep saying, oh, if I just help them develop, again, it comes uh-huh. to you, you, becomes, you take upon your own shoulders their development. Whereas it's for them to realize potential or actually ignore that potential and go somewhere else. That's their life. Uh-huh. So I once heard, not exactly this quote, but that when you're in a relationship with someone, there are really four people uh-huh. going on at the same uh-huh. time. One is the person that you think the other person sees mm-hmm. as you. The person that, how can I explain this uh, clearly? Okay, so... Who you think the other person sees, mm-hmm. how you perceive the other person, and then, oh my gosh, this is so hard to explain. <laughs> so perception as the opposed per- to the real person. Yes, perce- both of you are relying on how the other person perceives you, as well as how you believe the other person perceives you, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because there's always a gap in communication. Yes. We don't we don't have a hundred percent understanding. Partly it comes down to the interpretation, like what you said about musicians interpreting composers' notes. Yes. It's even if they were there to tell you, it's still relevant to the time in which they're making yeah. that statement, right? Because we could have a relationship where I'm saying I like okay, let's say I like jelly beans mm-hmm. but really they like silly strings uh-huh. and, but they didn't know that they like silly strings mm-hmm. as much more than they like jelly beans so you think they like jelly beans uh-huh. so you bring them jelly beans but they're not happy and they don't really know why and you don't know why uh-huh <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah I think part of it is just like words and then behavior and all of that how people tend to interpret that yeah and, and our and, interpretation of our exactly. own selves do we know ourselves well enough to convey what we want? Yes, and when we act and when we behave, do people around us see that in the same way that we see yeah. ourselves? Yeah, you know? there's so much room for misinterpretation. Yes. It's kind of a miracle when people actually get together and they get along. Yes, <laughs> and I love how you were bringing up the idea of potential and kind of banking on someone. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's I'm interpreting this person's behavior and how they seem and kind of creating this trajectory of who mm-hmm. I think they'll become and like who I think I'll become and thinking that it's all going to keep going well. Right. And the disappointment of the loss of a future is just, yeah. you know, I think for me is the most difficult part of ending a relationship. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh. It could have been, you know, like at the beginning of my poem, yes. it's basically saying, it could have been, uh-huh. <laughs> but obviously not, because they decided that this is not where they want to go, and uh-huh. they just have to kind of say, okay, well, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
yeah, and finding shelter. And I just love that kind of idea of we both kind of talk about the vulnerability that we kind of put out in the world, um, mm-hmm. that we give to select people and kind of the betrayal of that. Yeah, and the necessity of fine-tuning that mm-hmm. throughout our lives mm-hmm. that you want to be careful not to lose a part of yourself that you love, but you also want to make sure that you're not opening yourself up to people who are taking advantage. Yes, like the reference to a siren song. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because, I mean, you have such a romantic way with words um, nice. and talking about innocence and naivete and all of that. And then kind of how a siren will use that and kind of captivate you mm-hmm. into doing whatever they say and how that's really the illusion. Yeah, yeah. With the siren song, there is a change, right, in the poem because the mm-hmm. siren song is much more deliberate. Yes. Sirens have an objective in mind. Yes, they do. And it's a plan. They want to magnetize you into their trap. Mm-hmm. But really, their intentions are totally different. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I felt like that's what they were doing because they were saying all the right things, but mm-hmm. they were doing all the wrong things. Yes. So I wanted to encapsulate that. And in some ways, that's another aspect of human relationships, right? Yes. Because there will be people who will say, okay, I'm attracted to that person, but in their insecurity in thinking that them as themselves are not good enough to attract mm-hmm. that, they will try to use deception. Mm-hmm. And in the end, you kind of suffer the person that they're trying to attract. Both parties suffer mm-hmm. because the person who they're trying to attract realizes that they actually got something wrong and they spend all this time, they wasted all this time. And that's mm-hmm. one thing that we don't have a lot of as mm-hmm. human beings. Yeah. And then the person who's doing the attracting using this fake facade yes. is ultimately being rejected again. Mm-hmm. And then they internalize. It's like a reinforcement yeah. of the idea that they're not good enough, even though that wasn't them who they were presenting as. Right. So if only they learned to just you know be fully honest and yeah, truthful. Yeah, be truthful in the horribleness that they are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there will be. I mean, it's it's amazing, honestly, what people will forgive, because you, you know Charles Manson. Mm. He recently, not that recently now, but maybe a year ago or something. Some yeah. twenty-three year old got married to him. Wow. <laughs> he's, a, he's a serial murderer, or or oh he's the gosh. conspirator who, I mean, think of Hitler, who had Eva Braun. I mean, yeah. the, these relationships, you wonder, it's like, how are you able to forgive these horrendous things, especially if that partner is somebody who at least profess mm-hmm. a different philosophy? Mm-hmm. How are you in bed together, yes. quote unquote? You know? Yes. I would say, I mean, I, I just got out of a relationship last year that was quite worrisome, mm. I would say, and quite traumatic. Uh-huh. And she was saying all the right things, professing uh-huh. her love for me, saying that I was everything to her, and mm-hmm. true love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, mm. all the right words. But it always felt so painful. Mm-hmm. And I knew at a certain point that I don't think it should be like this. I shouldn't be feeling this way all the time. So right. exhausted, so hurt, so 
so insecure and mm -hmm. uh, feeling bad about myself just in general, then I realize the presentation, saying that you're something doesn't necessarily mean that you actually are. Saying yeah. that you care about me doesn't mean that you actually do unless you actually care about me through your actions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Ultimately, words are wonderful. I mean, words are... Actually, I just wrote a poem about how words can be used in so many different ways, mm -hmm. manipulated. Yeah. And they can be a wonderful vehicle in conveying your mindset and things yeah. that are difficult to convey even via actions. But often they're utilized for not very good end, yeah. you know. And, and action is ultimately when you're interacting with someone. It's ultimately what you need to depend on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just had a, a friendship where I basically broke up with a friend mm -hmm. where the person was telling me, oh, you're really important to me. But then they did something that made me feel like if I'm that important to yeah. you, why would you do something like that? Yeah. So ultimately, what are you demonstrating to me? What message are you really trying to convey with your actions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is a very clear it sounds like ending with mm -hmm. friendships. But I also find it hard to... I mean, there isn't a lot of kind of representation of friendships ending because there are so many gradations mm -hmm. of levels of friendship. And you can kind of end a friendship by just scaling back and only... They're a right. sometimes friend. They're a... I see your parties friends. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. You know, we go... Not exactly, but... Right, you know what right, I mean? right, yeah. And often I do that with friendships that I end. I kind mm -hmm. of just don't talk to them as much or we mm -hmm. don't hang out as much. And that's one way, but I love that this is just very clear-cut. Yeah, I feel like over these experiences, mm -hmm. like from this poem that demonstrates that, is that, as I said... Time is something that it's incredibly precious to all of us. And time moves so much faster than yes. we like it to. So it's very important to, when you see that a relationship is no longer working, to say, do I still want to invest more of my time into yes. it? Because ultimately, that is your decision. And now I'm like, no, because here are my tendencies where if I'm with a friend that I really like, yeah, I can't help myself but do certain things with mm -hmm. my friends. I want to look out for them. I want to yeah. care for them. And it's almost a default. I'm almost a rubber bank that goes back to that. Mm -hmm. But then I know this person will take advantage of that. So it's actually to cut down on my own vulnerability, whereas yeah. it, you know, it's actually better to just have a clear cut rather than back away by gradation yeah i would like to be able to have the ability but i know how i would i can't help it but so yeah. it's hedge against my own vulnerabilities yeah but then you really know where you're putting your energy yeah you know what i mean it's very efficient and i think that's just important not to waste energy and not to yeah. not to have your boundaries pushed so that you feel like you're obligated to give someone energy that you want to spend elsewhere <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, you know, hey, we've all got things to do, the life to live. You're not trying to live their lives. Uh huh. So, yeah. yeah. Anyways, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate us talking about Me the poems too. together. I loved this. I just Good. I love talking yeah. to people about this stuff. Yeah. People right. will do, you know, the weather, talking about small stuff, but it's these big things. Yeah.
Yeah, we need to talk about them to understand yeah. ourselves better, understand each other better. Yeah, especially the hot topics that people sometimes feel scandalized by. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because if you avoid it, then it just festers and right. hurts everybody. Mm-hmm. In closing, I wanted to find out where people can see you, read. You mentioned several, but where if they want to reliably find you, where uh-huh. would they find you? Well, I do have an Instagram for my poetry. Right. It's at Sarah Rachel Poetry, and that's S A R A H, and then R A C H E L, and then Poetry. Yeah, O E T R Y. Sarah Rachel Poetry. That's right. And on Instagram. Yeah, on Instagram, and I try to make. The open mics that happen at Wasted Inks and Distro. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping to go to Pocket To Me. That's great. And as you know, we announce all the poetry events that I know about in the Valley yeah. during the beginning of the show for every upcoming week. So listen to that and, and yeah. pick and choose. Lots of things going on. It's yeah. very, very encouraging. Yes, I was listening last week and I was driving in the car trying to write it down in my head. I have to. I have to sit down with a pen next time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite a lot, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's so Every, much. Time. Yeah, and sometimes there's several events during the same day. You feel like you need like a Star Trek transporting system. Oh, you know, or like Harry Potter yeah. apparition. Yes, exactly. You need yeah. you need one of those things where yep. you, can, you can instantaneously get somewhere. Mm-hmm. So be sure to follow Sarah and and look at her poetry and go to these wonderful events where you might encounter Sarah or one of the other many talented poets oh that's in gosh. and around the valley expressing yes. their personal truths. Yes. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah, thank you. I'm just glad to hear other people's poetry. <laughs> uh, and they'll get to hear yours now. Thank you. <laughs> okay. As a correction to what I said about Charles Manson's last marriage earlier, he actually did not get married to the 23-year-old who actually was 26. I am going to put an article from the Fresno Bee about that in the episode notes. And that concludes the Sunday, June 9th episode of Poets and Muses. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. As I said before, you can now visit our new website at poetsandmuses.com. You can follow us from there on SoundCloud, as well as Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe there or on our SoundCloud Poets and Muses page on the upper right-hand side, our weekly newsletter, which lets you know about happenings and events involving our past poet guests. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.